0: Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today was a bit of an adventure at our church. Because of precautions due to coronavirus, we've been meeting outside and doing the best we can to keep a healthy social distance uh, between our chairs. But today, in the middle of this service, the clouds dropped a rainburst upon our congregation and we got one of the most torrential downpours we've ever seen. So this recording of our service is going to be a bit muddy, to use a pun. Thanks for listening as we look again to the gospel and our role of preparedness to share with everyone who asks for the reason for our hope. What have you heard uh, that there was a cure for the coronavirus? Cure. No one would ever have to die from it. Amazing vaccine, no painless one to receive, no problem. You can get it in abundance. It's free of charge. Do you think that would make the news? Come on, you think that would make the news? Yeah, you you would you'd see this on every channel, you'd hear it on every radio station, it'd be the headline of every newspaper. There is a condition that you have that is going to kill you. It's not COVID 19, it's called sin. And sin is an infectious kind of disease that can't be uh, eradicated in any way other than the one antidote, which is the blood of Jesus, which is free of charge and available to all. You are going to read that in the news? No, you won't. I, I think it's, it's funny as I think of those things which we are so easily able to proclaim or advertise or let ourselves find identity with But for some reason, there is, even amongst those Christians in the evangelical realm, a kind of fear and trepidation when it comes to standing for the name of Jesus Christ before your neighbors, your family, the public. We have to... Begin to stretch and exercise those spiritual muscles. And that's what this whole series is about looking at the good news, such that we would be the people of God, prepared, as Peter wrote in our New Testament reading, setting aside Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts, and always being prepared to answer anyone who asks us for the reason of our hope. Are you ready? That's what that's what this this morning is going to be about. I'm going to give you the opportunity to answer that question. What's the reason you have hope? Because hear me now, if we can't do that here, if, we, if if we can't do it here, I really don't have a lot of confidence we're going to be able to do it out there. I cannot imagine a more safe environment to to stand and be a witness for the truth of the gospel. That exact purpose for which God has you and I here on earth. Uh, If we can practice it here and and stretch those muscles and begin to flex them a little bit, my hope is we will become better and effective witnesses for Jesus out there. So our series is The Good News. That's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, you're going to hear a few things that uh, that I will have uh, been repeating from our previous Sunday mornings because the gospel doesn't change. Amen? The gospel is the same as our Lord is the same. That news and that message has a dual component. The first part is what we read in the text. Hear me now. The gospel, which means what? This quiz time. What does the gospel mean? Good news. The gospel has two components. One of them is formulaic. It's, it's what we read from God's Word. And we're going to look at that again. We're going to cement it and we're going to practice it. You're going to lock it down, no problem. Everybody's going to get a gold star for that today on the test, okay? So don't worry about quiz at the end of the service. You guys are going to pass flying college, no problem. That's the first aspect. The second aspect, though, hear me now. The second aspect is personal. The message of the gospel is not and cannot be something that remains external to your life. If church is a place you go and leave and it never has any integration into your identity, you're doing it wrong because the gospel component is not only formulaic in the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, it's personal. You guys with me on this? Give me an amen if you're with me on this, right? It's personal to you. It matters to you. Thank you, vehicles. Thank you for that. And so we're going to be in uh, Luke's Gospel. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn chapter 24 right to the very end. Uh, this is Jesus' resurrection appearances. <coughs> if you have your sermon notes, we have uh, four primary conclusions, observations that we're going to see from this text. I'm going to start in verse 36 and read through 49, but primarily, we are going to focus our attention down from verses 44 through 49. So, with that, I want, to, I want us trying to watch carefully and pay attention to these two components of the good news, that which is formulaic and that which is personal. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Luke records, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were so startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not be, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? Sounds like a teenager, I was going to say. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, we're going we're to press the pause button there. we got more to Luke's story about the ascension. And I, I got just to remind you, uh, Luke wrote two volumes of his narrative, right? He, he wrote the first half of Jesus' life, but then his second volume is the book of Acts. So we're actually going to briefly look at that this, this morning, looking at how the church continued then to do exactly what Jesus says here at the very end of Luke chapter 24. So uh, a few things that I, I want us to see. When we're looking at the, the nature of our mission, and I've entitled our, uh, our, our sermon for today. It's the good news, but it's all about mission. Uh, the first thing is that the word of God is the source of good news. If you, if you have your sermon notes, that's our first blank there. The word of God is the source of the good news. I, I want to draw your attention back into the text, right? So Jesus shows up in this upper room. He's in their midst, and they are... They're freaking out. They are just—they can't believe that he's there, and they actually are beginning to doubt their very eyes. Jesus is appearing before them physically, and they can't believe it. And so he says, "What to what to them? Look here, look and see what my hands and my feet, right? And, and come and feel like it's me. Um, they they what do they think they're seeing? They think they're looking at a at a ghost. Are right? oh, looking at ghosts? <laughs> Jesus says, ghosts don't have flesh and blood." Like I have. And then just to prove it to him, he says, I smell fish. You guys got any fish here? (laughs) Ghosts don't eat either, by the way. I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. Jesus here unequivocally proving his physical, bodily resurrection before them so that they become witnesses of it. And then he says this. He says, this is what I told you was going to happen. Listen now. God's word will be fulfilled. He says, everything, and this is where I want to draw your attention back to the text, verse 44. He says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. Here's an amazing truth, you guys. The whole Bible speaks about who? Not a trick question. You guys got it. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And so if we are going to look for where you find good news, it is not on cable TV. Good news cannot be found on YouTube. Good news is found where? It's found in the word of God. When Jesus is going to establish his commissioning to his apostles, as he's going to send them out, they're going to go and be witnesses. It is rooted. The message is rooted in the Bible, in the the message of God's word. Now, the problem is, do people read the Bible today? In fact, I've been doing a lot of study in my preparation here for this series on the good news, uh, watching debates, watching testimonies uh, from people who specifically were Christians at one point, but have since decided that they have left the faith and that they are now atheists, that they now no longer want to claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but that they are now saying, I don't even believe there is a God. Well, when you listen to their testimonies, they, they'll say that, I, I grew up in the church, and they'll have some experience of being in the church, but you know one thing that they don't say that they do very well? They don't read God's Word. And instead, they try to piece together for themselves an understanding of spirituality. Now, guys, listen, I, I know that you've encountered this. People who don't really want Jesus, because Jesus is too exclusive. Instead, they want a kind of spirituality, they recognize there's a deep hole in their hearts, and so they are thinking, well, maybe it's kind of the Eastern religions that see, oh, I see God in nature, and I see, I see God all around us, and, and people begin forming an understanding of God that's not based on this, but based on what they think God is. Now, we've been commanded by God through his people in the Ten Commandments to be very careful that we do not make any other gods, for there are no other gods beside the one true God. I don't care how convinced you might be that you discovered Jesus out in the woods. Jesus and the good news is rooted in the word of God. This is the source of the good news. Now, in your sermon notes, I put the word but at the bottom because there is a condition on this. So I, I'm pretty sure, hopefully, I've convinced you 90% of the way, the Bible is the exclusive important witness, the revelation of God for the good news. You with me? Amen on that? How do you feel? Amen. You're good on that? Okay. But there is a problem. Here's the problem. Your mind and my mind by themselves are broken. You, you, you and I have got a broken uh, resource the tool that's up here, the uh, uh, three and a half pounds of gray matter to really understand properly what this book says. And Jesus knows that too. And so let me show you what he did. Verse 45, did you see what it says? It says, as he appears to them, then he opened their minds so that they could, what's your Bible say? Understand. Uh, Let me just do a quick little aside on that. If you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, circle, underline, highlight that word, understand. Teresa and Jerry did a great job this morning showing you what happens if you don't understand. In fact, that's Paul's entire message when it comes to the problem in Corinth with speaking in tongues, is that people enjoyed practicing that, but nobody could understand them. And if you can't understand, Paul says, you're a stranger then. we, We don't understand what you're saying. What this means for us in terms of the good news is that we need a helper. Come on, you guys know that you need a helper? Jesus said, it's good that I go away because then I'll be able to send the comforter, the counselor, the helper who will guide you into all truth. And so here's the point. The very expansive room in your sermon notes with a butt there, it says, but your mind must be opened to the truth by God's spirit. Your mind must be unlocked, unhinged from whatever stress and anxiety that you've collected over the years that's inhibiting your understanding of God's word. It must be freed, unshackled from the poor hermeneutic of understanding through a lens of either materialism or humanism to try to make sense of this book. You and I will fail if we try to do it alone. You need help. And so you and I, we need our minds opened and unlocked by the Holy Spirit. And so this is, I'm going to rush to application on this real quick. Here's what I want to ask of you. When you do sit down with the Word of God, in fact, a little quiz time on Wednesdays when we have Bible study here, what's the first thing we do before we open God's Word? We We pray. And we ask for God's help and leadership. That's what I want to encourage you to do as well. So I hope you believe that the true source of the gospel and the good news is God's Word, but your mind has to be what to understand it? It's got to be opened. And you, you need the Spirit's help with that. So that's the that's first thing that we see from the text. Second thing is the Son of God is the message of the good news. The Son of God is the message for the gospel. One uh, prominent atheist that I was recently listening to was asked the question, this is a great question, by the way, if you ever have a chance to interact with somebody who has walked away from the faith, you can say, is there anything that would convince you I understand you used to believe in God, but uh, is there anything now that could convince you again that you would believe that there is a God? And here was his answer: Well, I guess if, if God could come and appear, and uh, it could do you know do something that would prove that He really was God, you know, if if I, if I could see that, then I would believe that there is a God. Now, why do you suppose that makes me chuckle a little bit? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what God did. Jesus is the exact representation of God's holiness and being. The uh, writer of Hebrews helps teaches this. Paul says in, in, to the Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, you look at Jesus. Now, Jesus knew and God's plan was to have this be at the exact right time. We know that from the book of Galatians. But how very foolish it is. That we would not accept the testimony of what has been revealed. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago? I told you that the gospel is not something you get to choose. It's something that you get to receive. Like it or not, this is it. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And then he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared. I don't care if you believe me, that happened. That is true. That is true. That they were witnesses of. You don't get to change that or twist it or wiggle around it because you might not like it. That is truth. That happened. The message of the good news is the message of Jesus. Now, I want us to see this in the text again because he says in verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. Notice again, he's drawing back to the scriptures. He says the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Uh, three things. There's, uh, if, you, if you were to read this in the original language, there are three infinitives. An infinitive is a verbal noun. It's, it's, it's something that looks like action, but it happened. It's like it's a, it's a historical re- reality. This is, this is true. Three of them. You, you might want to write these down. Number one, Suffer. So what it says in verse forty-six: the Christ will suffer. Second infinitive, rise, and you might include from the dead. Now, suffer here is a is a metaphor, right? For what? Yeah, it's not like he had a toothache. Sorry, Paul. No, it's not. It's not. It's not like that was the that he was suffering with. Uh, to suffer here is a it's a metaphor to describe that he was crucified. So. You, you might recall, that's exactly what it sounded like the gospel message was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. right? Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Ha, same thing here. Step number one of the gospel message. By the way, I'm giving you the formula, so you might want to take notes on this. Formula number one, Jesus suffered, Jesus died. Step number two, he rose from the dead on the third day. Oh yeah, that also sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, back when we looked at that. And he rose from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. How do you know that was verified? Because what did he do after he rose? He appeared. And that's the historical narrative story that we have here. So Jesus died, Jesus rose, and then the third infinitive. And and we got to pay attention to this now. It shows up in verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be, and the, the third one is preached. The message of the gospel is something that must be uh, more more direct to the original language. Here is proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. Not just looking at a pastor up here, uh, beg a hot wind like me, but pro- proclaimed through your life, through your actions, and hear me now through your words. He died. He rose, and he's preached. Now, I've got to make one last point on this before I move on. The content of the preaching. What, what is it that we're actually preaching here? Because you've got the Gospel message, but look what it says. Two things in verse 47. Repentance and what? Forgiveness. Now, say that with me. Everybody ready? Repentance and forgive. One more time together. Repentance and forgiveness. What do you have if you have forgiveness with no repentance. I'll tell you what you don't have. You don't have reconciliation at that point. You can imagine that if you're a parent and you have a child who keeps on doing something wrong over and over and over, and you as the parent just say, oh, it's okay, I'll forgive you. That's just, oh, isn't that sweet how they draw on the walls and tear up the carpeting. You're you're, you're never ever seeing from that child a contrition in their heart. You're just sweeping it under the rug. Do you know what you're doing? You are enabling sin. That's what you're doing. And so you must have forgiveness with repentance. Now let me ask you this. What if you have repentance without forgiveness? Do you know what you end up then? That leads to tyranny and division. This is the child who's forever saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know what I did was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And the parent who says, no. I ain't never going to forgive you for what you did. What's going to happen to the heart of that child? This is tyranny over them, and you will begin to see them divide and have discouragement to come in. Listen now, for reconciliation, two ingredients are in that pie. Repentance and forgiveness. So as you think to maybe even your own life, how you return to God through confession, that's repentance. The Bible tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's the result of godly repentance. You will get forgiveness. But think of your family members who you know of that don't know the Lord, that don't really want the Lord. What's the first thing you should be preaching to them? Look, Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave he's offered you the chance to be forgiven if you repent. But you have to repent of your sins, and forgiveness is the gift gift given to you to be reconciled to God. So, um, there is another but in your sermon notes after this, right? And I want you to see, if you look with me back in the text, there's a condition upon the forgiveness of sins, and it's preached. If you look with me in verse 47, did you find out what it is? Repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached how? In His name. There is no forgiveness of sins with Buddha or Krishna or Vishnu or Shiva. I'm running out of Hindu gods. They got more. Those are the only ones I know. But listen, there is no forgiveness of sins found in any other religion. In fact, if you and I were to look uh, to Peter's message in Acts chapter 4, he says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When Paul writes to the Galatians at the end of chapter 2, he says this, if salvation could come from any other way, specifically in his mind through the law, then Jesus died for nothing. Think about that for a minute. For these people who want to form their own form of religion, to go find Jesus where they want to find Jesus, not from the revelation of the gospel found in God's word, then why'd Jesus have to die? If you think you don't need Jesus to be saved, then He died for nothing. So, number one, the Word of God is the source of the good news. Number two, the Son of God is the message of the good news, but it must be preached in His name. Number three, the promise of God for all nations is the direction of the good news. The promise of God... For all nations is the direction of the good news. Folks, I apologize for the rain. I know Chris has got me loud enough that you can hear me. We're going to go just a little bit longer, but I'm changing my plans on the fly here too because of our weather. All right, people in the cars, can you still hear me preaching? I need to know if you can hear me. All right, the cars are good. I need to hear from you. Can you still hear me? Amen, if you can hear me or not. You still good? Okay. I know Chris will take care of that. The promise of God for all nations. you got to hold on to that idea. God's plan from the beginning was that the, the message to Abraham, to the Jews, would be a blessing to all peoples, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And that is the direction that God is moving the message of the good news to every person, man, woman, and child under earth. I want to show you back in the text where you can find that. You will see in verse 49, he says, I'm going to send you what my father promised. So the promise here is the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is one to be given as we preach the good news in his name. Look with me in verse 47. Where does it go to? To all nations. Now, in your text there's another but. All right? And this is an important one. The but of the preaching of God's news, according to this text, Jesus says, "It begins where?" Look at look in your Bibles, verse 47. It begins in Jerusalem. You guys see it? Just nod your heads because I can't hear you anymore, but yeah. Okay, so it begins in Jerusalem. Here's what that means. For you and I to have an effective witness for the good news, where does it begin for you? It begins right where you are. If you think that I'll go be a missionary somewhere, serving off into the desert regions, I I, I have a hard enough time sharing the good news with my neighbor or my own family, you are not going to find it when you go overseas. Because it begins right where you are. So, the message of the good news is the Son of God and the promise of God for all nations is the direction of that good news. All right, lastly, the Spirit of God is the power to share the good news. The Spirit of God is the power to to share the good news. In the same way that you are not going to be able to, to fully understand the Word of God alone, hear me now, you will not be able to share the message alone. You need the Spirit within you to help you share that message. Now, looking back in the text, I want you to see where that comes. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples, verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the, si- stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I'm not the type of person who likes to wait. I kinda like, let's get the show on the road. If I'm ready to go, let's go. Uh, I remember playing Little League, and uh, you guys, if you ever played baseball, there's the guy that before you go up to swing at the bat, you're called on deck, right? And you'd have to warm up. I hated being on deck. I just wanted to get to the plate. Let's go, let's get this thing going. And I would imagine that many of the disciples would have felt the same way. But listen, Jesus' message, even though the Spirit is the power to share, Jesus says, are you ready? He says, wait. He says, wait. And so the but that comes for this observation is that when you and I share the message of the good news, it must be in His strength. That, That really should be a freeing message for you. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I carry a measure of anxiety thinking that i got to get it right to convince somebody. Do you know that you can't save anyone? Give me an amen if you know that. You can't save anybody. The Spirit of God does the work of salvation. And so you must work and act and move forward with the Spirit's enablement and empowerment. All right, let me wrap this up. In terms of application, i got one blank for you. The people of God are witnesses of the good news. The people of God are witnesses of the good news. If you look with me one last time into your text, you will see right in the very middle, verse 48, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. Uh, There's a really helpful way for us to understand and conceive of this word witness. And it's the idea of in a court of law. You, you guys have seen Judge Judy, right? You, you, know, you know you know, what those shows look like if you've ever been in a courtroom. Um, if you've got someone on the defendant, if you've got the prosecution, what will they call? They will call a witness to the stand. And what's the witness's job? Is the witness's job to convince anybody? Shake your head no. The, the witness's job is not to convince anybody. The witness's job is to simply retell the truth. And that's why, as they come to take the stand, they have to swear an oath. i tell the truth, and the whole truth, and every little piece of the truth, and all of it. So help me. That's right. And that's the job of a witness. It's not to convince anybody. The convincing belongs to someone else. And in our lives, as in terms of the Gospel, the convincing component is not up to you. It's up to the Spirit of God. It is your job to correctly convey the truth. And that makes you a witness. That makes you a witness. Uh, Here is the but for this one. So I think that God might be helping us out here. I'm I'm hearing the rain settle down a little bit. I was planning on concluding this. Some of you are thinking, yeah, Pastor, wrap it up. (laughs) What I wanted to do this morning, and I kind of went a little long because I knew that rain was coming, but I wanted to give you the chance. You, I wanted to give you the chance to come up here and share how you would be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now we're gonna we're gonna cancel that for this morning just because of the weather and the circumstances around us. But listen to me now. You must be ready. If we were inside, we'd be doing it. But God's blessing us with a little bit of shower of blessing, and so this is this is what we get for this morning. Does not excuse the necessity of you being ready. Listen, you're going to go from this place and you may run into somebody that God has put in your life specifically to hear the message of the gospel. Their eternal destiny will rest upon their decision to repent of their sin and receive forgiveness. And God has you as the vessel of truth to be a witness to that message. Are you ready? Are you ready to go and proclaim that? Because our world today does not think that's a popular message we need to begin stretching those spiritual muscles preparing ourselves so that we can rightly be God's mouthpiece, be his hands and his feet to a world that needs to repent and receive forgiveness. If I were to give you the quiz, if I were to uh, you know say, "Alright, take out your pencils, get your desks ready. We're we're going to practice sharing the gospel." You need to have two components. You need to have that first half that's formulated. I'm going to give it to you again just to make sure we lock this down. You ready for it? Jesus died. That's the first half. And then what? The rain's too loud. I can't hear anything you're saying. Come on, Jesus died and He... And He rose from the grave on the third day. That's it. That, That right there is the the gooey center of the gospel message. Jesus died. Jesus, I don't care if you believe me. That is true. Why did he die? He died for your sins. Why was he raised? He was raised to give us new life. That's the first half. The second half of a gospel message is why you have a reason for that hope. What has God done in your life? What has he redeemed you from? What change has been wrought in your heart by the Spirit's indwelling? Because that message is going to be special for you, specific to the person you get to talk to. Again, you don't have to convince them. You're simply reporting the facts of what God has done in your life. I feel like when we rely on the message of the Spirit and empowerment from the Spirit in God's Word, it removes that pressure us to feel like it's up to us you can't save anybody it's not up to you it's up to him the only part you have to play is being his witness let's bow let's pray ask god's help to be effective in that in our world father we want to